theyeshiva.net. questions I want to address with you this morning concerning the festival, the holiday of Purim. Let's begin with a Pasik in the Megillah, at the end of the Megillah that we read on Purim twice, Perik Tes, Pasik Chavdalet, it's your first source in your source sheets. So the Megillah says, Ki Haman, to sum up the whole story. Kihaman ben Hamdasa Hagagi Tsayir Kala Yehudim Khashavala Yehudim La Abdam. Haman, the son of Hamdasa, the Agagite, the oppressor of all the Jews, planned, schemed on the Jewish people to destroy them. Vihipil Pur, he cast a poor, what is a poor, Huagoiril, it's a lot, Luhumamula Abdam to confuse them and exterminate them. And when the decree came before the king, Omar, he said, Ima Sefer, coupled with a written book, a written document. He didn't only say it verbally, he also put it in writing. This is how Rashi explains it. Yashuv machshavta yaroa shechoshav ala Yehudim al-Roisha. His evil scheme, which he schemed against the Jewish people, should be reverted to himself. It should fall upon his head. They hung him and his children on the tree. Al-Kain thus... They, the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, have called these days the day of Yudalad Adar and Tesvav Adar, the 14th and 15th of Adar, the name of Purim. Why Purim? Al-Shem Hapur, on the name of the Pur, which we just learned is the Goyril, is the lot that Haman cast, as the Megillah says earlier in the beginning of the story, that when Haman decided to destroy the Jewish people, he cast a lot, Hippil Pur, Hua Goyril, which would be the best month, which would be the most suitable day in the month to implement his horrific scheme. And the lot fell on the 13th day in the Hebrew month of Adar. And thus that became the same day when the Jewish people in the self-defense went out and fought and defended themselves against their enemies and rested the next day, which becomes the holiday of Purim. What is fascinating is that the Jewish people have lots of holidays. And we enjoy them very much, usually. And there was once a guy, he said, I used to be an atheist, but I became religious because they don't have any holidays. <laughs> we have lots of holidays. We have biblical, what's called biblical holidays, holidays from Torah Shabbat like Pesach, like Shavuos, like Sukkot, like Rosh Hashanah, like Yom Kippur. And of course we have many more Medivrei Seifrim that the rabbis have given us like Purim and Chanukah. And yet from all the Yomim Toivim, every single one has a name and the name is in Lashon Kodesh. The name is in the Holy Tongue in Hebrew with one exception and that is Purim. The word Purim, as the Evan Ezra says explicitly here in the Megillah, is a Persian word. And really you don't need the Evan Ezra, you see it in the Megillah itself. What does the Megillah say? The Hippel Pur, and then the Megillah adds two words, Hu Hagoyro. 
Goyrel is a word in Lashon Kodesh. You have it in Tanakh. It's in Lashon Kodesh. You have it already in Parshas Acherei Mois, Yim Kippur, that the Kohen Gadol cast, right? The Kohen Gadol on Yim Kippur cast two lots on the two goats, which one would be offered in the sanction in the Beis HaMikdash, and which one would be sent to Azazel. The word Goyrel is already a word in Chumash. It's a Hebrew word. The word Pur is a Persian word. That's why the Megillah has to translate and explain, Hippel Pur. But I'm writing, the Megillah is written in Hebrew, not in Farsi, not in Persian. Hippel Pur and it's not only here, you have it earlier in the Megillah as well. When it says Pur, the Megillah translates Hu So the question is, why is this the only Jewish holiday that the Chazal, those who established the holiday, which were prophets, the Anshei Knesset Agdoyle, including Mordechai and Esther, Chose the only holiday not to be a Jewish Hebrew name, not Pesach, not Shavuos, not Sukkot, not Chagamatzis, not Chagabikurim, not Chanukah, but what? A Persian name. The name is fine. Call it Goyrel, call it Goyrelis. Would have been the same name? No. Precisely Purim. Why? Another very fascinating thing about the Megillah on the same note, and that is. The Tanakh has 24 Svarim, 24 books, beginning from Hamisha Chum Shetayra, continuing to Nevi'im, continuing to Ksuvim. There is only one Sefer in which Hashem's name is not mentioned even one time. And that is none other than that Sefer that records the great miracle, the first miracle of its kind, where the entire Jewish people, Minarva, Zokin, Tav, and Nashim were subjected to the threat of complete genocide and extermination, and the great, the great miracle of Purim had the events turn around. The metamorphosis and transformation was absolutely complete and unequivocal, and yet, not a single mention of the Rebbeinu Shaloylam's name. Not only not Yudke Vofke, none of the names of Hashem, not a single name in the whole Megillah Esther. It's a fascinating phenomenon. Not once to mention Hashem's name. You're telling me that Esther said to fast three days and three nights to pray to do tshuva. But not one to mention why to do tshuva, who to come close to, who to pray to. Who was behind all of these events? Not a single mention. The Evan Ezra, the great Spanish commentator on Tanakh, in his introduction to Megillah Esther, asks the question. What is his answer? The Evan Ezra answers that Mordechai and Esther, who wrote the Megillah, who prepared the Megillah, knew it's going to be a document that will be translated into other languages. It says, before Art Scroll. They knew it's going to be translated first and foremost by the Persians or by others. It's going to be a document that's meaningful to them because it's not just about Jewish history. It's also about the history of the Persian Empire, of Ahasuerus. When they're going to translate the Megillah, if Hashem's name is going to be mentioned, how will they translate it? Says Devanery, they would translate it and substitute it with the name of one of their gods, their deities, their Avaidazara. So Mordechai and Esther stayed away from mentioning Hashem's name so it couldn't be corrupted in any way. Even if they translate, there's no Avaidazara here. This is what Devanezra says. It's a very interesting explanation. There is a difficulty because the Gemara t- tells a story in Mesechta Megillah, Davzayan Amir Aleph that Esther sent a message to the sages of the generation, Kavuni Ledoiris, 
make my holiday a holiday for generations. Not just a temporary celebration, but it should be a holiday forever. And what did the Chachamim say? They said, no. You know why? You're instigating, you're triggering anti-Semitism. What do you need a book that tells this whole story? Yeah, let's keep it quiet. We'll celebrate in the Shtibel. Every year, Amaisa with, with a Megillah. With, let's just, you know, let it pass. What was, was. So what did Esther say to them? The Goyim, they know everything already. I need it for the Jews to know. They know, you're not going to hide. They know who you are. They know the story. It's already written by them. I need for us to write the story. So from this Gemara, we see that the story was written before. Besides the fact, even taking into account Evan Ezra's interesting interpretation, that itself is a fascinating fact, that the Hashgacha, the divine providence, dictated that for whatever reason, from all the Kisvei HaKodesh, all the books of the Tanakh, one book should be completely without a single time Hashem's name is mentioned. Now the Arizal and other Mechabalim point out that in the Megillah you have lots of references to Hashem's name. But they're all hints, they're all Ramazim. For example, Yavoy, Esther says, Yavoy HaMelech V'Haman Hayoyim. The king and Haman should come today to the feast that I prepared. So Yavoy HaMelech V'Haman Hayoyim. You have Yud and K and Vav and K. If you look at the acronym, if you look at the Rosh Hashanah, Yavoy HaMelech V'Haman Hayoyim. Later, that's the Rosh Hashanah. Later you have your Megillah, Haman saw Ki Cholso, a love, hurrah. That really, this was not a good day for him. The negativity was coming towards him. So, ki cholsei lavara, you have in Seifetavis. The last letter of each of the four words, ki cholsei lavara, again, you have Yudke Mavke. And Darizal brings in Priyat Chaim that when one reads the Megillah or hears the Megillah, he should have that kavan. But everybody understands that you can't compare a remez, a hint, an intimation. You have to look at the beginning of letters, combine letters, look at the end of words, and combine letters to the fact that the one that once does it say explicitly Hashem's name. It's even more perplexing because generally, when, Yaakov, when Yitzchak wants to identify the difference between Yaakov and Esav, what does he say? By Yaakov is Shem Shemayim Shagar Befiv. By Esav ain't Shem Shemayim Shagar Befiv. Esav doesn't mention Hashem's name. Yaakov mentions Hashem's name. Haman was a grandson of Amalek, according to one interpretation, Targum Sheni, who was of course an Enikel, Amalek, comes from Esau, a son of Eliphaz, who was a son of Esau. So as a result of that, the quality that distinguishes Yaakov from Esau is to mention Hashem's name, the Megillah, which tells the story of the defeat of Esau, the defeat of Amalek, ultimately the defeat of Haman, so to speak, mimics that doesn't have once Hashem's name, ancient Shemayim, a Jew, even when he writes a letter, a mundane letter, the minig, the custom is to write Baruch Hashem, Besiyat HaDashmaya. Why? What's the connection? He's not writing about Hashem. He's writing, how are you? What's happening today? People don't write letters. I think in text, most people don't write Baruch Hashem, or Besiyat HaDashmaya. They don't even write a word, so they're not going to write extra words. But what's the connection to a letter? Somehow the Jew feels that since... There's no space devoid of him. So everything, even a letter about technical things, is somehow connected to Hashem. Here you have a whole book of Tanakh, Kisvei HaKadosh, written by divine inspiration, not a single mention of Hashem's name. Another question is, why is it called Purim in the plural, when the Megillah itself says there was one Pur, which is one Gairam? He says, Hippel Pur, who are Goyro? Al Kain Korula Yamim Meela Purim, Al Shema Pur. 
Haman cast one lot, which day and which month? And the Megillah calls it a Pur. When it comes to the name, suddenly we have two lots. Purim is plural. And then you tell me, why did they call it Purim? I'll say my poor, you're contradicting yourself. It should have said, I'll Kain poor. Or in Hebrew, Gairam. Why Purim? It's very strange. And then there's another question. It's known generally in Yiddishkeit that names are extremely significant. A name is not just a coincidental reality. You need, everything needs a name in order to be able to identify it. Names are connected with the shayrish, with the essence, with the particular unique quality of that which carries the name. This is true about people. It's true about things. It's true about objects. It's true about holidays. It's true about anything. Gemara says in Yuma Reb Meir, Yuma Pegimu Reb Meir Dayak Bishma. Reb Meir was extremely meticulous about a name. And Mizrich Magid explains the Pasuk. It says in Bereshis, V'chayla she'el yikir lo'i ha'adam nefesh chaya hu shmoi. It's a very awkward Pasuk. Mepharshim say you have to change around the words. V'chayla she'el yikir lo'i ha'adam nefesh chaya hu shmoi. Literally it means any soul that Adam gave a name, that became his name. So the Magad of Mizrich says, you have to read it like that. V'chayla she'el yikir lo'i ha'adam nefesh chaya hu shmoi. The name is the nefesh chaya, the particular name of every animal, of every beast, of every mammal, of every in- whatever the name is, actually carries. It's a channel for the particular energy, the vitality that gives chiyus, that gives life to that particular creation. When it comes to the other holidays, you see that the name somehow expresses the essence of the Yom Tov, the essence of the miracle, the essence of the mitzvah. When it comes to Purim, the name seems to focus on a side note of the story. The story is that the Jewish people were saved. The mitzvahs are Megillah, Mishlai Echmanes, Matanes Lavenim, Sudas Mishtavah What did they choose as a name? The fact that Haman cast a lot. First of all, that's part of the disaster, not part of the salvation. <laughs> the fact that there was a poor, that was the disaster. That was the, that was the part of the, 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 the catastrophic tragedy. That was the catastrophic part of the story. So why focus on that detail? Regardless, even if you want to say that that was ultimately abolished, but that seems to be a detail in the story of Purim and not essential to its main theme, to its main drama, to the main consequences, to the main results. Let's say Haman would have not cast a lot. Suppose there would have not been a poor. He would have just decided he's going to kill the Jews. Choose a day without a lot. Whatever it is, ask other people. Whatever the situation the story would have been seemingly the same story. So when they choose a name, why do they choose this detail, which seems like an important detail, but just a, a side detail in the story, that Haman happened to cast a lot, and that becomes the name of Purim. There is a very strange comment in Zohar about the name of Purim. You have it in your second source. There's a sefer, one of the sections of Zohar, the books of Zohar, is called Tikkunei Zohar, which is really a commentary on the word of Bereshus. In Tikkun Chafalif, section 21, commentary 21 on Bereshus, he says a short line, Purim is kiriyas al shem yom hakipur. From the Megillah you would think that Purim means a lot. It says clearly, that's why they named it Purim. So the Tikkunei Zohar says there's something deeper. The name Purim was given on the name of yom hakipur. Yom HaKippurim, which is of course already in Torah and Chumash and Parshas Achirei Mois. Yom HaKippurim, the day of Kippurim, of Kapora, of atonement, of forgiveness, of cleansing and so forth. 
Purim is named after Yom HaKippurim. So you have Yom HaKippurim, and then you have Purim, which of course is not a contradiction to the Megillah, that says that it was named because of the Goyr, or because of the Lot, because one of the main features of Yom Kippur, as I mentioned, was also a Goyr. It was also a very interesting tradition on Yom Kippur. Two goats were chosen. The Mishnah says in Mesech Yuma, the beginning of chapter 6, The two goats actually had to be identical. Which is a separate question, how to get two goats, mamish identical, that's discussed in Gemara and in Achreinim, beautiful Sfasem is there, it's a whole separate sugya, but they had two identical goats, both in look and in height and in value and so forth. At least and then the Kayan Gadol had to pick out from a box two pieces of paper. One said La Hashem, one said La Zazel, and randomly, randomly placed them on the two goats. And one goat ended up in the Holy of Holies. His blood was sprinkled by the Oren in the Kodesh Akadoshim, in the Heichel, on the Parochis, on the Mizbeach. And another goat was sent to the Azazel mountain every Yom Kippur. So there was a Gairul, Yom HaKippurim is also connected to poor, even though literally it means atonement. But here's the question. If you'll ask a regular Jew, in the Jewish calendar, which two holidays are the most similar to each other, and which two holidays are most different than each other? So everybody will immediately tell you, you can't get two further extremes than Purim and Yom Kippur. The mood is different, the behavior is different, the halachas are different. Just for starters... On Yom Kippur is the only holiday, it's a mitzvah to fast. And not just to fast by day, to fast at night. And it's not enough to fast. There's the chamishi, nuyim, the five afflictions. There's no eating and no drinking and no bathing and no anointing and no wearing shoes and so on and so on. No relationships, etc. All of the nuyim of Yom Kippur. When it comes to Purim, there's a mitzvah to eat and to drink and to feast. And not like every other Yom Tifu, there's also a mitzvah to feast. But over there there's limitations, how much... By Yom Kippur, the Gemara says in Megillah, Dav Zayin, Amar Ravah, Chayavinish, Lebesume, Bepuria, Adeloi, Adeben, Aram, Lebarach, Mardachai. Once a year, there's the obligation for inebriation to the point that you don't know the difference between cursed as Haman and Baruch Mardachai. On Yom Kippur, you don't stop with our Haman and Baruch Mardachai. Al-Chait, 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 Al-Shamnu, Shamnu, Begadnu. Of course you know the difference. This is bad, this is good, this is cursed, this is blessed. The whole Yom Kippur is a mood of, which is somber, introspection, repentance, confession, seriousness, segregation from the physical world, fasting. Here it's exact, no fasting, it's all about feasting, the exact opposite. You're not allowed to fast on Yom Kippur. And in many ways, also the mood, it's loose, it's joyous, people who don't smile all year, suddenly pour him for a few seconds, they'll smile. People who don't give all year, they give. People are lighter. People are in a better mood. You go into somebody's house. Yom Kippur is a much different, ad- different atmosphere, different ambiance. Two diametrically opposed Yom Tovim. Comes the Tikkun Yisrael and says, when they had to choose a name, <laughs> Purim, which holiday can they choose it? Not like Pesach. Not Shavuos, not Sukkot, which is Mansim Chaseinu, no. Yom HaKippurim. Yom HaKippurim, Yom HaDin, the day of judgment. This says in Tikkun Yisrael, now the Chachmei Achsidis, the Hasidic masters, take it of course a step further. They say, one second, we know when you have a word with a Chaf as an introduction, it's Ki, right? Like, what's known as Chaf Adimyan. So what is greater? Is Purim like Yom Kippur? Or is Yom Kippur like Purim? So I saw three people, the Balatanya in Teirah, Reb Tzadok of Lublin in Resise Laila, 
The Yid HaKadosh and Teres HaYehudi HaKadosh say almost verbatim the same thing. First was the Balatanya, I brought the Kroh Torah Er Megillus Esther. But you have it also from the Yid HaKadosh, you have it from Reb Tzadok and Resisei Laila. Inyin HaPurim SheGavoya Yoyusegam Etchinesem HaKipurim. Purim is loftier than even than Yom Kippur. Shaharei Yoyim HaKipurim Nikre Kippurim. Keloimar Kemoy HaPurim Bechafadimyin Belvad. Veloy Kemoy Purim Mamesh Miklal Shapurim Atzme Gavoya Miyem Kippur. When they called... Purim on Yom Kippur, Yom HaKippurim. Yom Kippur is the day that's Kippurim, like Purim. In other words, what is the greatest Yom Tif is Purim. Purim is transcends even Yom HaKippurim. When you want to define the greatness of Yom Kippur, you say, it's Yom HaKippurim. It's the day that's like Purim. If you understand what Purim is, then compare Yom Kippur to Purim. It has something of the taste of the quality of Purim. Which this is a holiday minatayra. This is a holiday that was added later medivri soifrim. That's not one point, but also in theme in toichen, the value of yom kippur is that it has a little bit, a little bit of a taste of 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 purim. This is achas bashana. It's one a year. It's yom hakadosh. It's called shabbos shabbosin. It's zman shuvu mechila, the holiest day of the whole year, and yet we say it has a glimmer. It has a glimmer of purim. It's kippurim. It's similar to purim. Let's learn another Gemara, your fourth, your fourth source on the sheets. Yuma, Daf, Chavtes, Amir Aleph. Amir Rebasi, Rebasi said, Lama Nimshula Esther L'Shachem. The Tehillim gives us the psalm, Lam Natseich Al Ayeles HaShachar. Shachar means dawn, dawn break, like Alois HaShachar, the break of dawn. Why is Esther compared to Shachar, as the Chazal explained earlier? Loi Marloch to teach you. Ma Shachar soif kol Just as Shachar, dawn, is the end, the culmination of the night, of the entire night. Night is over, and dawn at last has appeared on the horizon. Af Esther soif kol the era of Esther represents the culmination of the era of miracles in the life of the Jewish people. Of course, the story of Esther happens approximately 70 years after the destruction of the first Beis Hamikdash in 586 BCE, before the Common Era. Following that, the second Beis Hamikdash would be built, and there's a new era. Even in the, the miracles, the supernatural events that were so much part of Jewish life, of course, in the desert, but even in Israel to a significant degree, this ends with the era of Esther. It's the end of prophecy, it's the end of the era of miracles. A while later, in the middle of the second base Hamikdash, there will be a story of Hanukkah, a grand miracle. Says the Gemara, There's something unique about the miracle of Esther. It was written down, it was transcribed on a Megillah, it's one of the Svarim of the Tanakh. Which ostensibly, what's the difference? If it's a miracle, it's a miracle. But the Gemara says, that makes it into a different type of miracle. Because it was nitna lichtoiv. It's not just a miracle we celebrate, we talk about, we do mitzvahs for, like lighting the menorah, or saying halal, or saying ala nisim. But it became a Megillah, one of the books of the Tanakh, that is a mitzvah actually to read, and to read metoich haksav, to read from the writing. Now when you think about this Gemara, it seems very strange. The Gemara is trying to say that Esther represents the end of a glorious era. That's why she's called, why? 
Shachar. What is Shachar? Shachar is the end of night. You would think that the era of miracles is an era of light, of brightness. When miracles end, it's an era of night. Here the Gemara tells us the exact opposite. Esther is Shachar. She's the beginning of light. Suddenly the light emerges. You were in darkness all night. You can't wait till dawn breaks so that the fear should dissipate and the fresh day should come upon you. And yet here the Gemara seems to say, Esther is compared to dawn because it's the end of the night. It's the end of the era of miracles. And what starts now? Now starts an era of nature. This is compared to day and the era of miracles is compared to night. It seems very difficult to understand how to explain this, how to put this in the proper context, why Chazal would make, would make that comparison. I want to change the subject completely, but mamish completely, to something that would seem not only disconnected, but almost as far as Purim from Yom Kippur, even though not as distant. One of the Masechtas that many people are afraid to touch is Masechta Kalim, which is the first tractate of Seder Tyrus. Let's learn a Mishnah, and don't get scared of it, it's understood, it's a beautiful, interesting Mishnah. Kalim, Perik, Zion, Mishnah, Dalit. Kalim, chapter 17, Mishnah 4. It's a very interesting Mishnah. Huh? I'm sorry, Mishnah 14. Let's read it inside. Yo, I put it also in English translation. Says the Mishnah. Let me just give a brief and very short introduction. In our days, when we read about Tumah and Tara, it doesn't carry practical significance for the most part. Very little. We have to understand that in the days of the Beis Hamikdash, Tumah and Tara, purity and impurity, were part and parcel of living as a Jew, as much as for us, it's Shabbos and Yom Tif. Just like anyone who lives like a Jew, Shabbos is a major part, or Shul, or Shachris, Mincha, Mayriv, putting on tefillin, putting on sitzes, sending your kids to school. This is part of daily life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and so forth. Tumah and Tara was so much part of Jewish life, it affected the daily routine of every Jew. So that's why when you read in, in Gemara or in Mishnah about Tumah and Tari, you have to imagine how relevant this was experience. It was life. It was not abstract laws. We read it. It's another halach. It's another halach. What does this mean? This means if somebody was in a house and the person died, the person died, everything in the house usually suddenly became impure. Everything in the house, including the people in the house including many of the vessels in the house, the cutlery in the house, the dishes in the house. Now, if so, you were planning to go to the Beis Hamikdash next week. You were planning to bring a carbon. Or you're a koyin, you have holy food. Right? Or you're in your shalayim, you have holy karbonas. So this was a major, major issue. A person was a zav, a zav, a nida, a lettuce, he touched a sherets, he touched a mace. One of the therefore important distinctions in the laws of Tumah and Tara is what becomes Tumah? Somebody died in a house. What? Everything becomes impure? Yeah, all food becomes impure. Drinks become impure. Kalim, vessels become impure. Things that are used by people mostly become impure. But not everything. Not everything. Some things will not become impure. And this is a major discussion in Mesech Kalim. What types of materials, what types of objects become impure? Now some things would remain pure, few things just, are pure minatayra. The rabbis decreed that they should become impure. We're going to have two examples. So let's give an example. Klei avonim, a vessel that's made out of rock. It's not mekabal tumah. 
a vessel that's made out of earth. You just take earth and you fashion it into a vessel. You let it dry up. It's called clay adam. It's not makabal tumma. A vessel that's made of dung. They're so cheap. They're so valueless. You take a little sand. It's not makabal tumma. It doesn't have the significance to become impure. You could continue using it with holy food, with holy carbonus. You could, it's, it's completely fine. Clay cheres. Clay cheres is also made of earth. Made of clay. You take mud, you mix it with straw, but you bake it. You bake it in an oven, you bake it in the sun, you bake it in the furnace. That's called klecheres. That's, that's, that's a big one. That's mekabal tumah. There's not even a way to purify it. The mikvah won't help. You have to break it. We spoke about this a few weeks ago, about klecheres with Har Sinai. Clay eights. You have a wooden bowl, a wooden cup. It's mekabal tumah. It's mekabal tumah. If it's in the same house like a corpse, if it touches a source of tumah, it becomes tumah. That's clay eights. Clay eights, a vessel made of wood. All clay matches. Any vessel that's made of metal, whether it's gold or silver or any other type of metal, like much of our cutlery, much of our dishes are all mekabaltum. Comes the Mishnah Masech Kalim and says the following. In that which was created on Sunday, there is tumah. There is impurity. In Monday, there's no purity. In Tuesday, there is impurity. Wednesday and Thursday, there's absolutely no impurity. Chutz, except for knaf the wing of the vulture. The wing of the vulture created when? On Thursday together with all the birds. That wing, there is Tumah. And one more, Ubeitzas Naamis Hametzupah. And the ostrich egg that is plated, there there's also Tumah. I don't understand why should the wing of the vulture be different than all other wings. Any wing, it could become, could become Tame. We'll soon explain. And the Mishnah concludes, Anything created on the sixth day is susceptible to impurity. What is the Mishnah saying? There's generally two trends in this Mishnah. There's the Pirush HaMishnayis Loharambam, the Rambam's perspective on the Mishnah, but we're going to go today with the Bartanura, Rabbeinu Evadi Bartanura's explanation of the Mishnah. I'm just mentioning you should know that there is another Mahalach, but for our discussion it won't be of consequence. Says the Bartanura, we could read inside. This is what the Mishnah says. Yesh dvarim shenivru marishin. There are things that were created on Sunday, yesh behem tumah. That if you fashion them into vessels, they will become impure. What happened on the first day of creation? The earth. If you take earth and you fashion it into a clay cheres, an earthenware vessel, and you bake it, the clay cheres is mekabel tumah. If something comes into its ear, to its atmosphere, inside the clay cheres is tumah. That's Sunday. Says the Bartanura, Bishani Aimboituma. When it comes to Monday, nothing was created that could become impure. Why? Shabai Nivrakiya. What happens on Monday? The firmament, heaven was created Aimbaituma. There's no way heaven is becoming impure. Besides, for all other problems, the simple problem is you can't exactly fashion a vessel out of heaven. But heaven is not susceptible to Tumma. Now comes Shlishi. Shlishi Nivru Ilonois. On Tuesday. All the trees were created. The whole world of botany. You take the trunk of a tree. 
Huh? No. The water, first of all, the yam is not because the yam you go you go for tar, you go into the yam for tara. You mean you mean if it was taken away from the yam. But number one, that was already Sunday. Right? It's always good to remember the opening of, uh, of Chumar. Rashi says this, that the Mayim was already Sunday. Besides, according to the Bartanur, according to the Rambam, you asked a good question. The Bartanur is talking about if you could sh- if you make vessels out of it. Okay, let's see further. Berevi comes Wednesday. So Tuesday, you take wood, you take a tree, you make of it a vessel. It's called clay eight. It's Makabal Tumma. Berevi, what happens on Wednesday? Nitlu Amairis. The galaxies were created. The sun and the moon, the luminaries, the stars. Vein bem tumma. There's no tumma in, in those. Thursday, chamishi. What was created on Thursday? Oifas v'dogim. Birds and fish. Vimasim and kalim. Ein mekablum tumma. That's the halacha. Anything, the Mishnah says in Masech kalim. Anything that's in the water, you make a keli out of it. It's not mekablum tumma. You take a fish. You take the skin of a fish. And you fashion it into a keli. If it's something in water, the same is true with a bird. It's not mekabal tumah. Not like metal. Not like wood. So Thursday is immune to tumah. But Thursday has an exception. Chutz mi ois. What's knafa ois? If you make a vessel, knafa oznia, the wing of the vulture, the rabbonon gozru tumah bekelim anasim imena da'osilach lufi b'shar keli. People made vessels from the wings of a vulture. And it had the same look and appearance like other vessels. So you might exchange it and substitute it with others. And if this would become pure, people might make a mistake with similar utensils. They decreed a rabbinic level of impurity on vessels made from the wings of a vulture. Obeitzas hanamis hametsupa. This is an ostrich egg. Bas hayana metargeminon naamisa. Bas hayana in Chumash, the ostriches is translated as namisa. Virabonon gozru tumme bebeitzasak shimitsupa. That egg is not tummy. But the Chazal said that there's tumme in the egg if it's plated. Kivin de beloit sipui nami oimedes. Avo beshar beitzim. Afilu be mitsupa loi gozru. Kivin de beena mitsupa loi kaimakla. This is an egg that's powerful. It endures. So therefore, if somebody plates it, they decreed tumma on it. Where other eggs, even if it was plated, people would sometimes coat or plate eggs with something that's makabal tumma. They didn't decree because it's an egg that on its own completely, completely does not endure and therefore it's not makabal tumma. So this is again a rabbinic decree. What's on, what's on Friday? Here the terminology changed. All the other days it said, Anything created on Friday is Makabal Tumma. Why? Chayas, Behemis, Shrotzim, Adam. On Thursday, you had the birds and the fish. On Friday, you have all of the animals, domesticated animals, undomesticated animals, all of the insects, and the human being. If you make vessels from the skin, the skin of an animal, or from the bones, clay etzem, from their bones, it's makabal tumma. Of course, a person is makabal tumma. Of course, shratzim are makabal tumma. They're metameya. 
On Adam is Makabal Tum and is Matamaya. That's a good question. <laughs> That's the argument between the Rambam and the Bartanura. The Rambam says we're not talking about Kalim, we're talking about the creatures themselves. The creatures themselves are Makabal Tumma. The problem with that be the problem of that is Sunday. The Rambam works. The problem is Sunday. Sunday, Earth was created. What's Makabal Tumma? So you could say the water, that's what he said, the water that was separated. Right? So that's why the Bartanura says that it's talking about Kalim. What about Tuesday? Tuesday he said, Ilonis, trees. So you could say, metals. Matchis was also created on Tuesday. Okay, so this is a long discussion in the Mepharshim, how exactly to learn the Mishnah. But what do we see from this Mishnah? The Mishnah tells us a rule. Look at the story of creation. Sunday, Tumah. Monday, no Tumah. Tuesday, Tumah. Wednesday, no Tumah. Right? Thursday, no Tumah. Just like Wednesday. But the rabbis created Tumah. Friday, Tumah. Shabbos is of course not discussed. Shabbos there was no creation. And Shabbos there's no Tumah. Now, we read the Mishnah interesting. I ask you one question. What is the Mishnah? Why was this Mishnah written? For what? What is the Mishnah trying to teach us? This is what the Mishnah Chirayin and Mishnayis asks. Mishnayis is not just an interesting book of, you know, facts. Trivia facts and associations. It's a sefer that recorded the halachas of Torah Shabbat Or sometimes some other details. What's the point of this Mishnah? Okay, so it's cute. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday and Thursday don't work exactly. Okay, so we're one off. But we worked for Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. There was a nice rhyme. Yes, no, yes. Right? No, no. And then yes. What's the point? What's the Mishnah saying? The, oh, the Mishnah says the Mishnah should have just said one simple. The only Kiddush we see in this Mishnah is... That on Thursday, the rabbis added two sources of tumah, the wings of a vulture and the plated egg of an ostrich. So they could have said, everything, everything, all birds, all birds are not makabal tumah, the kalim are not makabal tumah, the birds are not makabal tumah, besides two things. Could have included that. What do we learn from this? What's the point? The Mishnah Chreina says, doesn't seem to be any significance of this Mishnah. And he says probably there's only one purpose, a simon. The Mishnah just wanted you should simply remember things that are makabal and things that are not makabal So the Mishnah gives a simon. Of course the question is it's difficult because you still have to remember what was created every day. It's not like you have her a simon, you have her an easy list. You have to remember everything that was created in Rosh Hashanah and so you have to remember everything that was created. And then you make a cheshben. This is Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So how efficient, how effective is the simon? And it's a whole self-contained Mishnah associating it with the days of the week. And at first glance, there's absolutely no halachic teaching here. No halachic lesson. All the halachas we know from other Mishnahs. Besides one detail, one detail about Thursday... That doesn't, is not connected to Thursday. The Mishnah could have just said, the rabbis added tumon, two things from eggs, vultures and ostriches, because you could, you could mix it up with others. That's it, shine. For this I need a whole cheshben of a whole week. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. On this Mishnah, there's a chidush maftia. There's an extraordinary chidush of Reb Menachem Zembe. Reb Menachem Zembe, 
It's always emotional to say a Torah from Reb Nachem Zemba. Reb Nachem Zemba before the war was one of the greatest Goinim of the generation. He lived in Warsaw, in Poland, first Prague, and then he was in Warsaw. Reb Nachem Zemba was a gun of extraordinary proportions. Sadly, most of his writings were completely destroyed by the Germans. We have very, very few remnants of Reb Nachem Zemba's writings. Toitzah Chaim on Shabbos, but already from the little we had, besides his reputation, you could see his genius, his brilliance. Reb Nachem Zemba was a special, special man. His entire family was murdered in Treblinka and Majdanek. You know, one child survived, right? And uh, and he himself was murdered. He was shot in the Warsaw Ghetto a few days after the Warsaw Ghetto uprising began on Yutes Nissen, Tovshin Gimel, April 1943. The 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 Germans were were liquidating the Warsaw Ghetto, and they put his bunker on fire. And he had to cross the street, and his daughter crossed, I believe, before him. And she made a signal which was understood by him and the others that they could cross, because there's no Nazis waiting there. She meant the other way, and he went. He was holding a grandson, a five-year-old grandson, and they shot him right there. He died in front of the other people who remained hiding in the bunker. They wouldn't cross the street. And that night, they buried Rebbe Nachem Zemba right there. This was Tovshin Gimel, April 1943. After, after a few years ago, Rabbi Mendelbaum collected some remnants of Rabbi Nachem Zemba's titus that he found in a lot of books, letters that he wrote. He might have made a book called Chidushe Hagramaz, Chidushe Agorin Rabbi Nachem Zemba. He has a little piece on this Mishnah with an, extra, an extraordinary Chidush that I want to share with you. Now you want to know how I came from, Pur- from Purim and Yim Kippur. And all of those nice ideas to Amaisa with Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So you'll see that this Mishnah answers all the questions that we asked in this Shia. So you'll ask me, how does this Mishnah answer anything about Purim? Who's talking about Purim? We're not talking about Purim. We're talking about Kalim of Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday. But as you know, that the whole Torah we learned a few weeks ago, Kol HaTorah Inyan Echad. The Toysefta says all of Torah is really one. And you could see it constantly when you learn well. So here we'll see another example of this. In order to understand this, let's learn another Mishnah in Masechta Megillah and then get into the explanation. The Mishnah says, next source, Megillah, Daf Yutes Amid Aleph. From where do you read the Megillah and fulfill the obligation? Reb Meir Oymer Kula. Reb Meir says you have to read the whole Megillah to fulfill the mitzvah. Reb Yehuda Oymer Meish Yehudi. No. You could start off from You could start off later after these events. Achashverish raised. He, he brought to power. He gave Haman ben Amdas a prominence. That's where you read. Reb Shimon Bayechai is more gracious. He knows that Jews are fasting. He wants to. Megillah should be read fast. Everybody could go home to eat and start the feasting. Rabbi Shem Mechai says, cut out half the Megillah, start with Perik Vav, Balayla, who, Nada Dashnas HaMelech, and that will give, I would say, Simchas Purim more than everything else, almost like when a minion finds out that on Monday, Thursday, you don't have to say Vuhurachim. You ever saw the Simcha and the minion? There's nothing that brings more joy to Klal Yisrael, the women don't know about this joy. It's one of, that's why we say Shaloya Saniisha, because this joy is unique for men which, who need it desperately. 
that it's in mourning and you find out there's no vuhurachum. Whoopsie. It's yours. You've no vuhurachum, it's a simcha. Okay. So this is, this is one of the unique simchas the religious Jews, unless you're in a shul where they barely ever say tachnon, which I wasn't used to growing up, but then, then I guess it's not such a simcha because every day is a simcha. So, so Rashbi says, cut it out, you're good to go, is sleepless, that's where you start. Why are they arguing? They all took one posik and looked at it different ways. It says in the Megillah, Esther Amalka, Mordechai is called Toikif. Esther and Mordechai wrote down, as called Toikif, they wrote down the entire strength, the entire intensity, Toikif means intensity, of the story of these days. So what they, they wrote the story, what's called Toikif, the whole strength. So Reb Meir says, what's Toikif? They transcribe the great majesty, the power, the prominence of Achashverosh. So for this, what do you have to read? He runs 127 countries. He makes a feast for 187 days. That's what you have to read about. The second opinion of Rabbi Yehuda says, not Achashverosh's prominence, Mordechai's prominence. So you start from Ishiudi, Hayabashush Nabiru, Shmoy, Mordechai, Benyoir, etc. Haman's prominence. That's what you have to read about. I'm sorry, Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi says, Haman's prominence. Rashbi says, Where the miracles intensity emerges. And that only happens when Achashverish can't sleep at night. Amar of Chelboy, Amarav, Halacha. The halach is like Reb Meir, that you have to read the whole Megillah from Vayhib Meachashverish. In other words, Toikfoy Shel Achashverish. And the question is, why? It's strange. Usually, Reb Meir, the halach is not like Reb Meir. The Gemara says in Erevin, usually when Reb Meir argues with the other sages, the halach is not like Reb Meir. There's a few exceptions. Here they chose it like Reb Meir. But when we think about it logically, we understand the view of Reb Shimon Bayechai. The story of Purim is the Geshmak miracle, Balayla Hamalach. We get it. We can understand the opinion of Rabbi Yossi. You can't appreciate the miracle if you don't appreciate the catastrophe. So, therefore, go back a little bit and tell us about Haman's genocidal plan. Don't just start off with the miracle, start off with the horrible decree. And then you can appreciate the transformation. We can understand Rabbi Yehuda's view. You want to appreciate the events, give it background. So tell us who Mordechai was, and who Esther was, and how Esther ended up, which is the background of the miracle. Reb Meir's position seems the most perplexing. Let's say you would cut out chapter 1 of the Megillah. What would be missing in the story? Even if you want to say, Vashti was killed, and he needed a new queen, okay? Do I really have to know? That here was a Persian kugelfresser, a narcissist, a narcissistic party animal. Whoever heard of a party 187 days? I heard of weekends, I heard of Woodstock, I heard of people partying galore, I heard of kiddush clubs. One day, two days, I heard of vacations, a week, two weeks, three weeks, you don't stop eating and drinking and eating and drinking and eating and drinking. 187 days. 
Lo Yishama Kozois, 180 days, Hulater, a trink, a non-stop, a zhlokit, a half a year straight. And it's not enough. You think maybe it's time to stop? No. Bimloyus Hayamim Ayla. He says, where's the next party? It's not enough. I have to know what fabrics he had. Which caterer, who was the florist, what type of drinks, what type of sushi, what type of rib steak. Who cares? I have to know what the beds look like, what the curtains look like, what the tapestries look like, what the doors look like. What am I, a party designer for Persia? A party planner? It's good for party planners. Says Reb Meir, if you don't read about Achashvedish's feast, which is completely irrelevant to the story, why don't you tell me how he grew up? Tell me about Achashvedish's bar mitzvah. Tell me about his ADD diagnosis. Tell me where he grew up. He worked by Nebuchadnezzar. He used to work in a stable. He used to take care of the... It's not relevant. Of course it's relevant, but it's not really relevant to the story. What's relevant to the story is Haman, of course, at best, Esther and Mordechai, that's, they are the heroes of the story. This is, it's an interesting story, no question. I, the end of the story. First of all, that's also not relevant to the story. But that you could mention in one Pesach. He killed his wife. Why he killed his wife? For them it was a question when they didn't kill. These were ancient monarchs. You walk in without permission, you come out with a head shorter. <laughs> Esther says, Achaz dos You see what a Meshuggah and a paranoid he was. We spoke about it last year at length. Achashverosh paranoia. Now Esther played with it. She understood it well. Comes Reb Meir and says, that's what you have to read. And that's the halacha. Kairi is kula like Reb Meir. What's the explanation in this? That in order to appreciate Purim, I have to understand Toikiv Shalachashverosh. Not Haman, and not Mordechai, and not the Nais. I have to understand Toikiv of Achashverosh, something which seems completely incidental to the story. Why? Because the way the sages saw it, and Reb Meir brings it out so well, and that becomes the halachis, because that actually captures more than anything else the story of Purim. Because think for a moment the experience of Purim if you were there, if you were alive, like the Jews who wrote the Megillah, like the Jews who were part of it. They read in the newspaper. It was before, I think there was WhatsApp then, I'm not sure. There were texts then. Could be. They said that the Europeans were arguing with the Israelis about their scientific technology. So the Europeans said that they found, they found in some hick town, some little town in England, they found wires under the ground, under the earth. So that means that already hundreds and hundreds of years ago, they had some wire communication. So the Israelis said, by us it's a much greater revolution. We found in Svas, under the ground, 3,000 years ago, we were looking and looking. And we found no wires. That means there was already wireless communication 3,000 years ago. So I don't know if there was wireless communication at the time of Achashverosh, but let's say you were living there. So you read in the Shushan, let's call it the Shushan Times. The Shushan Times, which had all the news that's fit to print. So you read that here is a king that feasted 187 days. So the Jews came to Shachris. They finished davening, they're rolling up the toilet, they have What's going on? Or in the mikvah, or in the shul, or by the kiddush, or by tikkun, or whatever it is. Or by the bris, or by the what's new. And they say the meshuganah extended the meal for another week. Another month, another month. Uh, no, fine. And then after 180 days, the meshuganah is feast, feasting for another seven days. Okay, you go back to work, you go back to the job. 
Then there's the big news. The big news is that he had his wife executed. Okay? Vashti was no saint. She was a fine machshefen. Nobody sat shiva for her. Nobody said a very desperate kaddish for her. It was nice to get rid of Vashti. She was... She was Vashti, as the Gemara describes in Masechta Megillah, who Vashti was, like her grandfather Nebuchadnezzar. The apple did not fall far from the tree under those circumstances. That was a story. You'll ask, what's the significance of the story for Jewish destiny? At the moment, there's no, Vashti was killed. It's an interesting. There's a husband. He has his seven sarim. He has seven sarim. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he had his b'chal issues with Vashti. And that's what happened. Now, Amaisa, how many years passed? This is Bishnas Sholosh Lamalcha. This is the third year of Achashverish being a king. Now he's depressed. He needs a life partner. He's looking for his basheret. So he goes to the matchmakers, and he had lots of matchmakers, and they brought him lots of suggestions by Achashverish. There was no Shidduch crisis. Four years later, Bishnas Shevel Lamalchusay, four years later, in the seventh year of his reign, the Megillah says, Esther is taken. And Esther pleases him. He's enamored by her beauty, by her grace, by her character, by her physical grace. And she becomes the queen. Those who knew who Esther was, like Mardechai, it was obviously a sad event for her that this is what she has to end up. For others it would be very happy. Most people of course didn't know who she was. So here's another story. Reported in the news, Achashverish has a, I don't want to say, a royal wedding, a royal wedding. And the whole country is celebrating he found his new queen. What are they thinking? When is going to be the next party? He's going to get rid of the next queen. Years pass. Years pass. There's an assassination plot that's foiled. In the ancient world, assassination plots happened as often as you eat breakfast. This one was foiled. Okay, another story. Now passes. Five years. Haman gains prominence. And now suddenly the Jews start smelling trouble. Here is a vicious anti-Semite, and then the decree comes out. When you're in that story, when it's happening, it's completely disjointed events, completely disconnected. You do not see one story. It's completely separate stories. When we read the Megillah, what do we do? We take 10 years, and we compress it into 22 minutes. I don't know how fast your Balkaida reads. I was here at a minion that took eight minutes last week. At least maybe he heard the story. However, it takes 20 minutes, 30 minutes. You take 10 years and you compressed it into 20 minutes and 30 minutes. What happens now? When you were experiencing it, it looked random. It looked disconnected. It looked disjointed. Here is one piece of news. Here's another piece of news completely disconnected. Comes the Megillah and says, no, it's all one story. Where do you see it's one story? The first, the third word. Who's Achashverish? The Persian king? Comes the Ramah, Rabbeinu Moshe Israelish, the Rav of Kraka. As the Shalomeshev writes. And he has a commentary on the Megillah called Mechir Yayin, the price of wine. And he quotes from Rabbeinu Menachem of Rikanti, one of the Rishonim of the 1300s, from a Medrash, brought also what's a Chashverish? A Chashverish is, mi she'acharis v'reish shaloi. 
the one that the end and the beginning belong to him. In other words, there's one story on a physical level, there's another story on a metaphysical level, where Achashverosh is a metaphor for the one for whom Acharis, Veracious, the end and the beginning of history are all belong to him. Comes the Megillah and says, On one level, it's all random. It just happened, another piece of news, another piece of news. But there's a deeper story. And the deeper story is that there's one who Acharis, Veracious, Shaloi. 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, 5,000 years, infinite years are all part of him. They all belong to him. So of course it doesn't say Hashem's name in the Megillah. Because what's the Chiddush of the Megillah? The Chiddush of the Megillah is that when you look at the story, you don't see the divine. Not only don't you see the divine in the whole continuation of the stories, even in the salvation you don't see the divine. Let's face it, if somebody else would have written up the story, not Mordechai and Esther, how would the story be written? What happened? The Jews had mazel. Mazel was that Mrs. Achashverish, Mrs. Trump, Mrs. Obama, first lady, I don't mean to get involved in politics, but the first lady was a Jew. And she flexed her muscles. She got her husband drunk like she knew how to do, and he loved it. And in a vulnerable moment, she said, listen, my dear husband, I'm Jewish. That's what happened. There's not one miracle here. Vashti's death is not a miracle. Esther being chosen is not a miracle. She was beautiful. Mordechai telling him that a bitzvah wanted to assassinate was a good coincidence. Achashverosh having sleepless nights, that's what happened when you drink a lot. <laughs> you have sleepless nights. You suffer from insomnia unless you go back to sleep. He had a hangover probably. Or whatever the situation was. Punkta was a mazel, Haman came in and he told Haman, Haman thought it was him. So Mordechai had mazel. Esther made a party, she used her influence. Where's their miracle here? Every single detail is a natural event. There's no splitting of a sea, there's no manna falling from heaven, there's no ten plagues, there's no exodus of Egypt, there's no divine revelation. It's pure politics and diplomacy. Every single event, not one thing you could point and say, the laws of nature were broken. Could you see the name of Hashem? You don't see the name of Hashem. Where do you see the name of Hashem? This is the Kedusha Slavery, but it's like what Ditchever writes in Purim. He says, you have to put together the words. Rosh Tevis Vesefa Tevis. You have to put together the words. You have to take, you have to zoom out. Not zoom in, zoom out. And look, wow. Here's a guy, 187 days, he feasts. And he behaves for 186 days. Imagine, a shikir behaves. He didn't get into a fight with his wife for half a year. Here you make one party and your wife is upset at you. Or you're upset at her. One party is already a fight. You said this, I said, she said, he said. 186 days he behaved. The last day he had a meltdown. The last day he had a meltdown. So that's why he had to party till he had a meltdown. And Vashti was eliminated. And years later, Esther is taken in. And years later, Bixen and Sarish's plot is foiled. And years later, Haman comes to prominence. And in this decade, I promise you, that there were hundreds of thousands, millions and millions of events that happened in the palace. And you wouldn't notice. But suddenly you look back and you say, That's the story. The story of Purim is not that there was a miracle by Lailahu. 
Not Homa, not Esther, not Mordechai. The story is you're reading about a feast in Persia that has no connection to the Jewish people. You're reading a story about a non-Jewish husband, a non-Jewish wife, a king and a queen. It has a relationship with the Jewish people that seems no. Ephes, zero. And yet, what is really going on? What is really going on is there's an Acher Shvedish, there's an Acher Yisvedeshis Shaloi. There's a source of history, a source of reality, who is connecting the dots, who's orchestrating a whole Mahalach in order for the miracle of Purim to happen, for the Jewish people to be saved. What's even more than that? It's not just disjointed stories are all by divine providence, that's what you see here. Even Haman's plot itself becomes part of the divine providence. Which explains, which explains something unique about the story. It's not that Haman's cast, Haman casts a lot and he wants to destroy the Jews and then the Jewish people are saved. No, the lot of Haman, that is what saves the Jewish people. It's not just there's divine providence, it's deeper than that. Haman is the one who determines the miracle. Who decided that Vashti is going to be killed? Who? Memuchan. Chazal say is Haman. Who decided that Haman, if he, he's the one who made that verdict because of his plans. But ultimately, that led to Esther coming into the palace. He had one plan. But the same plan had different consequences. Who decided that Mordechai should be carried on the horse of Achashverosh, dressed in royal cloaks, be carried around Shushan and exclaim before him, Who decided that? Haman. Of course, he thought he's planning it for himself. It ends up to be a plan for Mordechai. Who prepared the tree on which to hang Haman? Haman prepared the tree. Of course, he prepares it for Mordechai. But who is it used? It's used on him. Who decided that Purim is going to be the 14th day of Adar? Who decided? Not you and me, not Esther, not Mordechai, not Haman. Haman cast a lot. The lot came out to Yudgimel Adar. That's the day of destruction. What happens? That very same day, the Jews are given a right for self-defense, and therefore they defeat their enemies, and the next day they celebrate. So now we understand why Purim is written in the plural and not in the singular. If it would be in the singular poor, what would it represent? It would represent Haman's lot. Haman cast a lot. What we're saying here is much deeper than that. There's Purim. Haman's lot itself is part of another lot. It's part of another goyro. His random acts, his cast suddenly is transformed. That that very random lot that he casts now becomes part of Hashem's strategy to save his people from the plot of Haman. Which of course explains the Gemara says in Masech Techulin, I think Kuflametes, Haman minatayra minayin. What's the source of Haman and Taira? So the Gemara says, Hamina Hamin is Haman. What type of question is Haman minatayra minayin? It has to say Haman and Taira? What? Haman minatayra minayin? What type of question is this? So he's not in Taira. What's Haman Minatayra Minayin? But there's no such a thing as something that's not Minatayra. Even Haman is Minatayra. Even Haman has a source in Taira. Everything is connected to the source of reality. Even Haman has a source, Minatayra Minayin. 
From here permission is given to a doctor to heal. Everything comes from Torah, the divine blueprint for creation. Ask the Gemara, So what's the story of Purim? That Haman's plans themselves becomes part of the miracle of Purim. Venapechu, that itself becomes transformed. So it's not one lot. It's Purim, there's the lot of Haman. And that very lot becomes part of the salvation. It's Purim plural. Which of course explains why the custom, the tradition on Purim is that people get dressed up. Why do they get dressed up? When somebody gets dressed up, we know for one thing. What I see is not what I get. What you look like is not who you are. You look like a girl, you're a boy, you look like Pliny Almoini, you're this one. What I see is one thing, and what I get is something else. What's the story of Purim? What you see is not what you're getting. What you're seeing is a Hashvedish with a Vashti, with a party, with a Haman, with a Bixamaseresh. But that's a camouflage, that's a cover-up. And even the Hamantash, you don't get to see the man, you don't get to see the... Huh? The fillings. You're not sure if it's prune. You hope it's kakash. Maybe it's chocolate. You don't know. It's covered up. You hope the kreplach has good meat, not, not, not lousy meat, meat, not chicken, whatever it is. But you don't see what's inside. That says the Maggot of Mizrich. That's why it's called Megillus Esther. Why they name it Megillus Esther? Those are the words. Megillah comes from the word gilui, revelation. Esther, the Gemara says in Chulin, Esther means concealment. Esther. Megillus Esther. This is the document that reveals that which is concealed. Why is that such an important name? Because that captures the whole story. The Chiddush of Purim is that Hashem's name is completely concealed. It's a natural event. And it's completely disjointed. And yet when you zoom out, what do you see? Megillas Esther, you go behind the cover, behind what's camouflaged, behind the veil. And you see that there's a purpose, there's a plan, there's a unity. There's a oneness that defines the entire history. It all ultimately belongs to Hashem. Because the beginning of time and the end of time is His. If this is the case, comes the Bionis and Ibshitz and Yaris Dvash. And the, the Holy Bnei Yisoschar in his, his essays on Adir, they both say a similar word, and they go back to the Gemara. The Gemara says, we learned before in Yuma, why is Esther compared to Shachar? Shachar is the end of the night. Esther is the end of miracles. Miracles are night, and day is nature. But the meaning of it, the explanation is as follows. There are two states in history. There was one state in history when people could not associate nature with the divine. Nature was completely divorced from Hashem. So therefore, the open miracles defied nature. They could see the Yad Hashem. Like by Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim. What's the revolution of Megillus Esther? Revolution of Megillus Esther is that nature itself is a miracle. Vayihi b'meach hashverish. Everything, you have drunks and you have monarchs, you have kings and you have queens, you have politics and diplomacy, you have newspapers and magazines, you have the regular day-to-day life, it's all nature. What is it really? It's It's God's world, it's God's story. It's all part of Hashem. So therefore... When there's darkness in the world, you can't associate nature with Hashem. So you need the miracle to define nature. 
What's the uniqueness of Esther is? With Esther is Saif Kal Halayla. It's the end of darkness because before Esther, when you see darkness, it's completely dark. In order to appreciate godliness, you have the miracle that transcends nature. What happens with Esther is, there's no darkness, the chayshich becomes oil. The teva is l'maylam in teva. In concealment and darkness itself, you see the achashverish. Where Hashem's name is not mentioned, you also can see Hashem. Megillas Esther. That's why the Gemara says, Ma shachar soif kol alaylaf Esther soif kol the end of the night is always the, the intensity of the darkness is strongest. Esther is soif kolanisim. Soif means end. Soif also means the ultimate, the objective, the purpose. Esther is soif kolanisim. She is the end and the purpose of all the miracles. What's the purpose? The purpose is to be able to see that the world itself is divine. To be able to see the extraordinary and the ordinary. To be able to perceive the presence of Hashem within every natural detail and nuance of a person's daily life and the natural patterns of history, to be able to see it all as an opportunity for expressing and living and breathing godliness and revealing godliness in the world. And this is the beginning of the day. Because the Chiddush of Esther is that there's no two worlds. It's not a world of light and a world of darkness, a world of miracles and a world of nature, a world of Hashem and a world of Achashverish. It's one world. The darkness itself is v'napichu. That which is a goyrul, that which is a random lot. What's a lot? You cast a lot, there's no significance. You could have won, you could have won. It could have been this day, could have been this day. But that randomness is really part of a deeper randomness. That which looks random from one perspective is orchestrated from another perspective. It's not one poor. It's two poors. Haman believes in randomness. That very same randomness is orchestrated by Hashem. How do we see it? That every single thing he tried to do in his random lots suddenly turned against him. How does that happen? That's because comes the Helik Kedushas Levi and he says, this explains a very strange Gemara. The Gemara says, you'll see the next source. Megillah Davzayin Amad Aleph. Esther sent a message to the sages, write me down for generations. She wanted Purim to be a yomtif. She also wanted Purim to be recorded in the Tanakh as one of the Svarim. They sent her a message. There's a Pasuk in Mishlei. I've written it for you three times, not four times. In other words, this, the mitzvah to blot out Amalek is mentioned three times in Parshas Beshalach, in Parshas Kiseitse, and in Nevi'im, in the book of Shmuel, Shaul was sent to wipe out Amalek, no four times. They found that Esther was right, because it was a Pasuk in Beshalach, Ksoiv Shem tells Moshe, says, write down this story of wiping out Amalek as a memory in a Sefer. Ksoiv Zoiz, Mashakosov, Kanab, Right here, Ksoiv Zois is Bashalach and Kisaitse. Zikarin Mashakasab bin Nevi'im. Besefer Mashakasab bin Megillah. So for here they found a source that it could be mentioned a fourth time. So what's going on here? What was the debate here? Esther says, write me down. They find the Pasuk in Mishle three times, not four times. I'm talking about the Megillah over there. She said, no, they found that she was right. So I'm not going to get into details here because it's a complex idea, but the Badichiva says one point. 
In Kabbalah, it's known, in Kabbalah and Chassidus, anyone who even tasted it a little bit knows that generally there's four worlds. The world of Atzillus, the world of Bria, the world of Yitzira, the world of Asiya, which means that it's not just there's a physical world that Hashem created. This physical world is a reflection of deeper spiritual universes which are all here in this world. It's just different ways of looking at the world. It's different states of consciousness. Atzillus is the world of oneness, Eitzel, one with Hashem. Bria is the world of creation, Yitzir is the world of formation, and there's this world, Olam the world of fragmentation, of detachment, of physicality, where you don't see the presence. Esther says, Kosvuni Lodoyris, write me down in generations. So what do they say? The revelation could be revealed in Atzillus, in Bria, in Yitzir, says the Badichavah, but not Revim, not for. Comes Esther and says, No! That's not Megillus Esther. Megillus Esther is Rebbeim. Four, Ksoiv, Zoi, Zikorin. And the bottom line is Basefer in a book. In a Sefer. The Gemara says Chanukah was also a miracle. Chanukah Chanukah is a verbal miracle. Purim takes on the form of a Sefer with parchment, with ink. It becomes a physical story. You have to read it. In other words, it takes on a very physical, concrete form. The parchment is holy. There's a Megillah. You have to read it from the Megillah. If not, you don't fulfill the mitzvah. Because it permeates Olam HaSiyah number four, the world of action. This was Esther's accomplishment. Esther concealed to reveal that which is concealed. This is what she, this is what she, what she, uh, what she expressed. This is true collectively with the Jewish people. It's also true individually. It's brought in Kabbalah that Amalek is the gematria, is the numerology of the word rum. Right? Amalek is 240, and rum is 240. Why rum? It says in Tehillim, rum al kalgoyim Hashem. Hashem is exalted over all the nations. The definition of Amalek is there may be a God, but He's rum. He's above. He's aloof. He's sublime. The Pasuk says in Beshalach, what caused Amalek to come? It was right after the Jews told Moshe, Hayesh Hashem bekirbeinu im oyin. Is Hashem among us or not? So the Mepharshim say, this seems like a bad joke. A few weeks ago you left Mitzrayim. You saw ten plagues. You had the sea split. And now you're asking if Hashem is among us or not. The answer is, they asked one word, Hayesh Hashem bekirbeinu. Bikirbeinu doesn't mean if God exists. The question is if God exists within me, within us. The fact that He can do miracles and defy nature, I know. The fact that sometimes He does it, I know. But Bikirbeinu, now it's just me in a regular day, stressed out, overwhelmed with physical, natural pressures and stresses. Hayesh Hashem Bikirbeinu. To tell me that in my day and in my night, within the natural cycle of life and a person, Hashem is present and searching and caring and connected and in an intimate relationship with you. Amalek says, how could you insult God? Once Purim at a Fabreng in 1971, Tavshim Lamar Rebbe was talking about this. So he said, he said in Yiddish, I'll say it in English. He says, Amalek says, you ate fleshiks five and a half hours ago. Now you want to eat milchiks. So you're going to tell me, as the Rebishte is fakocht, see the vestweiten section? So noch nicht, so noch nora durch fünf schon, fünf und nein und fünfzig minutes? Das ist doch ein Busche von der Beule. An infinite creator. 
you're going to tell me is concerned that it's only five hours and 59 minutes. So six hours didn't pass. So you can't eat milchiks yet because you're still fleshing. To tell me that God cares about such a detail. Or I left my house and it's Shabbos and I have something in my pockets, I have to leave it in my house, not to take it out to Rosh Hashanah or Carmelis. And he cares if there's something in my pocket that I didn't take out on Shabbos, it's almost an insult for him. This is your God. With me, my little small issues and stresses and problems and questions, how much are you going to insult God? But this is Amalek. Amalek is also the gematria of Goyrul, Imakoylul. Why? Everything is random. Leave it alone. God, in heaven He could do miracles. Pesach, yeah, sometimes He's in the mood. He wants to shake up the world. But we're talking about a regular day. It's not Mitzrayim. It's not Pesach. Relax. It's a normal day. It's a stressful day. There's nothing going on. Or to put it, the Gemara says, You'll see in the end, the Chagigad after Zayin Amarav, the Gemara says, There's six things about a person. Three like an angel and three like an animal. We have perception like the angel. We walk straight, not like an animal who never sees the heaven. We could speak the holy tongue. We eat and drink like a behemoth. Not the Ezra's notion. We reproduce like animals. And we go to the bathroom. We, uh, we defecate like animals. So comes a Jew and says, When I'm like Malachi Asharis, I'm like an angel. I have no problem. When I'm davening, when I'm learning uh, holy days, I'm holy. But now I'm like a behemoth. Let me eat, let me drink, let me go to the bathroom. Let me do other things. This is a human being. What are you mixing up? What are you mixing? Hayesh Hashem Bikirbeinu. That's where Amalek comes in. It's all random. What does the Jew say? Ashreinu matoiv chalkeinu manoyim goyraleinu. Manoyim goyraleinu. Our goyral is sweet. It's pleasant. There's purpose in it. There's meaning in it. Because yeish Hashem bekirbeinu. God has you and you have God. There's an intimate connection 24-7, 365 days a year. Not only when you're like a Malach, you're like a behemoth. If this is the case, Let's see two holidays in the Jewish world. You have Yom Kippur and you have Purim. What's Yom Kippur? So it says in Poiskim, Yom Kippur we dress in white. Yom Kippur we don't eat. Yom Kippur we don't drink. Why? Yom Kippur we don't engage in relationships. Therefore Yom Kippur usually you have to go a little less to the bathroom. Why? We don't want to be Daim al So we eliminate all those stuff. You don't eat. You don't drink. You don't, repro- you don't get involved in reproduction. What do you do? You're like a Malach spirituality, complete segregation, complete transcendence. That's Yom Kippur. Now comes Purim, the opposite. You want to fast Yom Kippur, sit in Talis a whole day with a kittel and cry al hate. It's a violation of Yom Kippur, of Purim. You may mishteh to feast, to celebrate, to eat, to drink, to give others. The opposite of Yom Kippur. Why? Because these are what the two holidays represent. Yom HaKippurim represents the connection with Hashem and transcendence. What does Purim represent? It's a very physical day. The Gemara even says that Mardechai wanted it should be prohibited in work. And they disagreed. It shouldn't be Yosef HaMalacha. It shouldn't be like Yom Kippur. It shouldn't be Shabbos Shabbos. 
It's in many ways the most physical day of the Jewish calendar. The most lightheaded day. But what is it really? What is Purim? Purim represents that time itself is Hashem. You could look at yourself and compare yourself to a behemoth. And that person who you're comparing to a behemoth, essentially a yeish Hashem b'kirbenu, he's part of the divine, Hashem is right there, he's connected to Hashem in that very experience. Of course when they want to name Purim, they won't give a Hebrew name. Why should they give a Hebrew? Of course they gave a Persian name. Why they give a Persian name? You might think, this is all true when you're in Eretz Yisrael, we're speaking Lashen Kodesh. In a holy space. Hanukkah happened in Eretz Yisrael. With a base Hamikdash. Purim is in Persia. You're outside of holiness. You're not even speaking Lashon Kodesh. You're speaking English. You're speaking Parsi. You're trying to make a few dollars on Wall Street. You're in the Persian mentality. Whether you're selling rugs or whatever you're selling. Buildings. Come to Chazal and say the name of Purim is in Persia. You're a servant of a you speak Parsi, you don't see Hashem's name, and yet you celebrate Purim that this is also divine. Where is all of this explained? In the Mishnah Masech Now come back to the Mishnah Masech And here, I saw an interpretation by a Jew known as the Yid HaKadosh. There's a sefer, they collected some of his Torah, called Torahs HaYehudi HaKadosh. And in the section of Purim, he says this. The Yid HaKadosh, his name was Rabbi Yaakov Yitzchak Rabinowitz. Schusa Yagen Aleinu. He was one of the great Hasidic masters. He was a student of the Chayza of Lublin, the seer of Lublin. He was born Tovkuf Chavav, 17, 1766. Uh, and he passed away Yutes Tishrei Chalamayit Sukkas Tovkuf Ayin Dalad, eighteen thirteen. Of course, his successor was Reb Simcha Binim of Pshischa, who succeeded him. He had a son who also succeeded him, Reb Yerachmiel. But most students followed the Holy Reb Simcha Binim of Pshischa. So his Rebbe was known as the Yid Hakadosh. Why they gave him that name, the Holy Jew? Why the Holy Jew? So generally they say because he was a student of the Chayz of Lublin, the Chayz's name was also Yaakov Yitzchak, Rabbi Yaakov Yitzchak Horowitz. They didn't want to call him when he was there by the name of their Rebbe. So they gave him the name, the Yid, the Holy Jew. I think I once saw the Svasemis writes, I think in Parshas Bamidbar maybe, that the Yid HaKadosh was such a type of person that every day he transformed himself like a convert from non-Jew to Jew. Every day he worked, it was a complete transformation Mamish like Geirus. That's like the Yid HaKadosh. Every day he was like, this was his name. He was a Jew. He was a Jew. Every day it was a new Chiddush that he was a Jew. That's how much he worked on himself, which is a very beautiful interpretation. So the Yid HaKadosh says something in this Mishnah. He says, take a look at Yom Kippur. Take a look at Pesach. We have a calendar. The Torah writes the system of how our calendar works when it comes to Yom Tovim. The principle when it comes to Yom Kippur is Loi Agu Yom Kippur Loi Zeved Purim Yom Kippur will never fall out on a Sunday Yom Kippur will never fall out on a Tuesday Yom Kippur will never fall out on a Friday Purim will never fall out on a Monday Purim will never fall out on Wednesday Purim will never fall out on Shabbos Why not? 
says the Yidah Kaddish because this Mishnah. Yom Kippur cannot fall out on a day that something was created that creates impurity. Lifnei Hashem Titoru, Yom Kippur is absolute purity. So therefore it will never fall out on Sunday, never on Tuesday, never on Friday. Those are the days when Hashem created in the world sources of impurity. Yom Kippur transcends it. What's Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is a Monday. Yom Kippur is a Wednesday. Yom Kippur is Yucholi is B'Shabbos. Shabbos. Purim is the exact opposite. Purim will never fall out in a day that cannot be susceptible to impurity. Because you know what the Chiddush of Purim is? It's a day where there is impurity. Doimen Kebehema. It's a random world, it's a crazy world, it's an impure world, it's a contaminated world. You don't see Hashem's name even once in the Megillah. And yet what does Purim say? The randomness of nature is as divine as Yom Kippur. Purim will never be in a day that's immune to impurity. Purim is all about a day when you're immune to, you're not immune to impurity. You're susceptible to Tumah. And in that day, you're going to reveal the connection. So when does Purim? Purim will not fall out on Shabbos. Shabbos is no impurity. Purim will not fall out on Monday. Purim will not fall out on Wednesday. But now you're going to ask me a great question, and that is, Purim and Yom Kippur do share one day that they both fall out. Thursday. Yom Kippur could be Thursday. Purim could be Thursday. No, what's the answer? Says the Yidah Kaddish, read the Mishnah. Thursday is not Mechabal Tumah. Min HaTayra. Midirabonon, it is Mechabal Tumah. Yom Kippur is a holiday Min HaTayra. Of course it could be on Thursday. Thursday is not Mechabal Tumah. It works with Yom Kippur. Purim is a holiday Midirabonon. Midirabonon, Thursday is Mechabal Tumah. Purim could be on Thursday. So it follows the same rule. Yom Kippur will never be on a day that's Mechabal Tumah. Purim will never be on a day that's not Mechabal Tumah. Thursday is not Mechabal Tumah for Yom Kippur. It's Mechabal Tumah for Purim. Purim is Medivrei Seif, Medivrei Seif, and they added Tumah on Thursday, as the Mishnah says. What does this bring out? This brings out, come back to the Gemara. When Rav says in Megillah, you're supposed to be intoxicated on Purim. What does it really mean? All the commentators say, it's one of the strangest halachas in the world. You ask a person, why are you drinking? Why are you celebrating? He's going to say Purim. What happened on Purim? Oh, Haman was executed. The very reason that you're drinking and celebrating is because Haman is cursed and Mordechai is blessed. If Haman is blessed, so then stop the party. <laughs> the whole point is Haman was cursed. So you're telling me you have to celebrate so much. It's like imagine, your family was saved from a horrible danger. So you have to celebrate so much till you forget that they were saved. What's the point? If you forget, close the book, no Purim anymore. The meaning is much deeper. The meaning is, means, in other words, your difference between our, the difference between Arahaman and Baruch Mardechai is not based on Yoda. It's not based on Yoda, on intellectual knowledge alone. You look at a person, he's in a state where he's Adelo Yoda ben Arahaman Baruch Mardechai. He doesn't know the difference. 
he's feasting, he's physical, he's even drunk. He doesn't know the difference. And it's Purim. And it's part of Purim. Why? Even when he's a state in a state that is Yoda, on a level of Yoda, he may not know the difference between cursed is Haman and Baruch Mardechai. Haman is still cursed and Mardechai is still blessed. Why? Manoyim What's Goyrul? Here's another element of Goyrul. Goyrul is that which is beyond rationality. Somebody wins a Goyrul and somebody loses a girl. There's no rational connection. Why did you win and he lost? Why did this day get it and this day lost it? The definition of a Goyrul means it looks random. There's no rationale. It's a Goyrul. What's Manoyim Goyruleinu? There's a relationship of a Jew with Hashem that is based on rationality. Adeloy Yoda, Purim is a state where the relationship is not based on Yoda. It's based on his etzem nefesh. This is who he or she is in his essence. Beyond their das. They are essentially connected to God. And therefore, even without Yoda, even without rational explanations, insights, perspectives, proofs, rejections, the essence of the soul comes out, the level of goyrul, which is beyond tam, beyond reason, beyond rationality. When that comes out, so the difference between cursed Haman and Baruch Mardechai is much deeper than just a rational explanation. This is who the person's essence is. And therefore they could be in the physical world, in a state of feasting, in a state where you think the person is just like an animal, at the surface, but essentially what are you dealing with? You're dealing with a shtikdusha. You're dealing with something that's essentially holy. Even in a place where you think it could be full of tumah. Purim says it's completely immune, immune to tumah. Comes Reb Menachem Zemba. And Reb Menachem Zemba, you remember we mentioned him earlier. Reb Menachem Zemba says, if this is the case, he thinks this is why the Mishnah was written. Why would, nobody knows, why was this Mishnah written? What's the, what's, the, what's the lesson here? What's the halacha? Just a fact about the six days of creation. What's the point? What's the message? Says Rebbe Nachem Zemba, it could be that the Mishnah was saying a halacha. What was the halacha? The halacha was, the Mishnah was saying, Chazal were saying, that because of this, Yom Kippur cannot be Monday, Thursday, uh, Sunday, thir- Tuesday, and Friday, and Purim cannot be Shabbos, Monday, and Wednesday, and they both could be Thursday. So the Mishnah was actually intimating this halacha how they have to set up the calendar. This was the halacha: Purim should be these days, and Yom Kippur should be the other days. Asked Rabbi Nachum Zemban himself. How can you even say this? What's the problem? The problem is, when was the Mishnah written? The Mishnah was written at the time when they were still Mekadesh HaChadoshim al They sanctified the months based on the new moon. Now we have a calendar that was created a few hundred years after Churban Bayesheni by Hillel. And in the calendar it was set up that Yom Kippur never falls out in the above days. Purim never falls out in the above days. But when the Mishnah was written... It's the, 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 the witnesses come. The witnesses come. It's Rish Chodesh. It's Rish Chodesh. Purim is going to be whenever Purim comes. So Rabbi Nachem Zemba brings that Toysvah says in Psachim Dafnun Chesamit Beis. Rabbi Nachananel says it. The Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah Davchaf that the Chazal made sure that Yom Kippur should never fall out on Sunday or Friday. 
There's two reasons. They didn't want to have two days of consecutive Shabbos, either because corpses who die, they could decompose after two days, or because there would be no fresh food, no fresh vegetables for a few days. It's a sugin Rosh Hashanah, I think, Davchaf. So therefore, there were situations that they would make sure Yom Kippur, they would always make sure Yom Kippur should not be Friday, Yom Kippur should not be Sunday. It shouldn't be right before or after Shabbos. So what is this talking about? Is this talking about only when they made a calendar? Or is this talking about even before? So there's different perspectives. The famous shit of Reb Sa'ad Yagon was that when the Torah says to make Rishchidosh to sing the new moon, it already includes the mitzvah also to make a calendar. They always work together. And this is what Torah says clearly, that even when they were Makadosh HaChadoshim Al they used to make certain days. Rishchidosh, they made sure it doesn't fall out certain days. How? They didn't have to accept testimony of the witnesses. The witnesses came, they wouldn't accept testimony. By default, Rishchidosh was pushed off a day because they didn't hear testimony. And as a result, they can happen. So therefore, even the Mishnah could tell you that Yom Kippur and Purim shouldn't fall out certain days. And then he finds it explicitly in a Yerushalmi, which is quite, uh, quite a Chiddush. And this is the second to the last source. Look on the bottom. Says Yerushalmi Megillah Perek Aleph Halacha Beis, which should have been everybody's question. You learn the first mission of Masechta Megillah. How does Masechta Megillah begin? Megillah Nikras, Yud Aleph Yud Beis Yud Gimel Yud Aleph Tasvav, and the Mishnah goes through the whole illustration of different days that Yom Kippur falls out. What's the first one? Chaliyos Basheni. If Purim falls out on Monday. So it's a very nice Torah. You have a Mishnah in Kalim that tells you Purim can't fall out on Monday. It's a clear Mishnah in Masech the Megillah. Chali is Basheni. If Purim falls out on Monday, Rebbe is asking on himself, how can you impose this in the Mishnah? So Rebbe Nachem Zemba says, take a look in Yerushalmi. Yerushalmi on that Mishnah. Masech the Megillah, Perek Aleph, Halach, And I quote the Yerushalmi. Omer Rebbe Yoisa. Rebbe Yoisa said, Les kan Chali is Basheni, Les kan Chali is Bashabas. Delete from the Mishnah two days. If Purim falls out on Monday, and if Purim falls out on Shabbos. Why? Chali is Besheni. If Purim falls out on Monday, Tzoy You know what Tzoy means? The great fast, Yom Kippur, is Bechad B'Shuvah. is going to be on Sunday. Chali is B'Shabbos. If Purim is going to be on Shabbos, Tzoy Merabe Yom Kippur is going to be on Friday. According to the calculations of the calendar, if Purim is going to be on Monday, you'll have a problem that Yom Kippur is Sunday. If, Yom Kippur, if Purim is going to be on Shabbos, automatically Yom Kippur is going to be on a Friday. This is what the Gemara says. So the Karben Ha'edah, one of the Mepharshim says, it's talking about the calendar days. Other Mepharshim, the Pnei says, no, even the days when the witnesses used to come. Bezdin used to calculate and make their own calculations sometimes. One of them was that Purim should not be Wednesday, Purim should not be Monday, Purim should not be Shabbos. Most people in the Yerushalmi, why not? Because Yom Kippur might be Friday, Yom Kippur might be Sunday. Who cares? So we already said, the Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, they didn't want Yom Kippur. Menachem Zemba says, no, it could be this is the Yerushalmi. Purim and Yom Kippur work together. Purim is Yom HaKippurim. It's not a Tikkuni Zoyar, it's a Yerushalmi. They're connected. And here the Yerushalmi is intimating the Mishnah in Kalim. Purim cannot be on Monday. What happens if Purim is on Monday? Yom Kippur is going to be Sunday. 
Monday is a day that's not Mechabal Tumah. Sunday is a day that's Mechabal Tumah. You're doing me a topsy-turvy, you're putting me Purim on Monday, Yom Kippur on Sunday, it can't be that way. The same is true, Purim can't be on Shabbos, because then Yom Kippur is going to be on Friday, which is a day that's Mechabal Tumah. So therefore Purim can't be on Monday, Purim can't be on Shabbos, and you have to change the version of the Mishnah. What's fascinating is, that the tur- it's Lagba'imer is also like Purim. That's always the simon. Lagba'imer falls out the same day of Purim. And it's interesting. Lagba'imer is the yardset of Rishim ben Yechai, and it's yet became a tremendous day of joy. And of course, Rashbi is more the Pnimius Atayra, Megillus Esther. He revealed the Nister, he revealed the Hester, he revealed the Concealed. But that's a separate sugya of of Rebbe, of, of Rebbe Akiva and of Rebbe Rashbi and, and Lagba Oimer. I just wanted to mention that's also connected to Purim. So Rebbe Nachem Zemba says, that's why it's Negei Halacha. That's why the Mishnah says it in Kalim. It's relevant to the Kviyas of Purim versus Yom Kippur. So Rebbe Chatzkul of Kuzmis, Chusay Yogan Aleinu, once said as follows, you invite somebody to your house for Shabbos, Friday night. You welcome him, you give him a nice seat, you start singing and then you throw him out of the house. You would say this is inhumane behavior. He says, this is what we do every Friday night. You come home, you welcome the angels. Shalom Aleichem, Alachi Hasharis. Bayachem L'Shalom, Bachuni L'Shalom. They're all excited. They're already waiting for the chicken soup and the chalupzis and whatever you're going to serve, the chocolate mousse for dessert. And then, Tzayshchem L'Shalom, Alachi Hasharis. Mach Kiddush, Ashtikel Gefilte Fish, Singa Nigin Seyed Vatayra. Then send them away. So Rebchatzchul of Kuzmir says, the Malachim come home. They're with you. It's Shabbos, it's Kedusha, it's a holy day, it's a transcendental day, and so on and so forth. But what's about to happen? What's about to happen is you're going to start drinking wine. And then you're going to start eating bread. And then you're going to start eating fish. Malachim are going to say, Das is Kedusha? This is holiness? I'm sorry. This is corruption. Holiness is Yim Kippur. So now we say, Tzayshchem l'shalom malachi ha'shalom. The angels are welcome. That's one element. Now it's time for you to leave. Now there's a new dimension that you can't appreciate. You're not tested with this. And you can't appreciate this. So when we want to define Yom Kippur and Purim, we say, what's the uniqueness of Yom HaKippurim? It's Kippurim. Why is it Kippurim? Because in a way, Purim is even greater than Yom HaKippurim. In a sense of holiness, spirituality, transcendence, of course Yom Kippur is the greatest Shabbos Shabbos. Purim is only Medivrei Seifrim, and you can't compare it to Yom Kippur. On another level, Yom Kippur is only Kippur. Because what you accomplish on Yom Kippur through spirituality and transcendence, the Chiddush of Purim is, that within the darkness, within the darkness and bleakness and opaqueness of a materialistic and egocentric and depressed universe, one creates a Megillah Sester, one reveals the truth that Achar is Vedacious Shaloi, that it's all Hashem's world. Have a wonderful week. Let me just uh, make two announcements. Um, next Sunday there's a shear. Uh, this week, Tuesday, there's a shear for women, 9.30 here. Thurs- this Thursday there's no shear. I want to, uh, I'm happy to announce that Amir Hashem, beginning with next Monday, that's a week from Monday, we're going to start... Um, Monday through Friday, an early bird uh, shear, a very early bird shear, based on the request of quite a few people. We're going to learn in the basement of 20, three different things, and you can feel, feel free to join all or any. 5.30 in the morning, we're going to learn Gemara, and then 6.30 Halacha, and then 7 o'clock Chassidus, 
And then 7.30, there'll be a minion for Shachris. Of course, there's all the other minyanim simultaneous, which you could join. Everybody is invited. That's not this Monday. In a week from Monday. Hatzlacha, have a beautiful week. Hagut Chaydush. Ah, ah, ah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, the Hals Cup. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, that's what I ran. Really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. The vulture and the ostrich. You know why? Mitsupa. Mitsupa. Beautiful. That Purim is Mitsupa. Esther. Very nice. Covered. He's saying that's the union of Purim. Esther. <laughs> Mitsupa. But the Pashtas, it means that you uh, coated the egg. So it. Uh, it uh, was like a, you used it for a design. Whatever, yeah. Ram, yeah. Amalek. Of Ram. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send an email. You, you get you get emails from Sean. They'll send an email. Okay, we'll send an email. Believe me. It's not not a shot, Mr. Shalom Bayes. Ibiyaz is bottle and the Only with permission. Only with permission from the Rebbe. This class is brought to you by the Yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.